Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, and by Rainex, Hum by Verizon, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome to Motor Week Podcast 192. 192. Easy for you to say. Yeah, I know. I'm John Davis, and I'm not going to talk very much. I'm going to leave it all to writer, producer, wow. Brian Robinson. Definitely don't leave it up to me. And online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. Yeah, I don't think I'm ready for that either. Uh, come on, guys. Writer, producer, Garrick Zykin. Thank you for having me. And video producer, editor, and the producer of these podcasts, Joe Ligo. I could talk all day, but you know that. <laughs> yeah, we know, Joe. Uh, we, we know, know. Joe. All right, we've got a viewer question about hydrogen as fuel, and we've all been discussing the, uh, that subject before we uh, started uh, taping. Uh, we've got an SUV comparison test, but first, Greg, you just got back from a trip to Bahrain to drive the Porsche Panamera. Now that you've gotten the sand out of your shoes, why don't you tell us about it? Where yeah. is Bahrain? It is just north of Saudi Arabia. It's an uh, island country, mm. kingdom. And uh, really small, but they've actually built up a lot of, of the island, so it's actually bigger than it is naturally. But we're talking about the car, and it is another Porsche Panamera. And I looked on the site, and there's now 18 different Porsche <laughs> Panameras you can buy. And it's actually not too far off from 911s. It's slicing the onion thinner. Uh, this is the GTS, and basically Porsche's GTS badge mixes track and street credibility um, so somebody who kind of wants a little bit of this, a little bit of that, that's probably the model. Does, doesn't it just basically take a lot of the most popular features from the, the base car and make them as a package? Isn't that primarily it, Exactly, it yeah. I mean, it's they're trying to entice people who want, like a, again, like I said, a little bit, right. little bit of this, a little bit of that, and put it into one car. Yeah, same formula they did with 911, and then Boxner came in. Mm -hmm. no. And, and it works well, because uh, it's not, you know, we're not talking – what a GT2 RS is to the 911 where it's purely performance and you've only got sport bucket seats or like no, nothing on the steering wheel. Uh, there's actually new technology inside for the GTS, which will roll out to the rest of Panamera, I think, which is head-up display, um, which is, a, I mean, it's intuitive to change the system because you can actually drag and drop in the main screen and literally make the exact head-up display that you want. Oh, really? G-meter, you know, temperature, oh, navigation, which is different. really easy to use. So you can, as long as you have enough Customize time to sit it. there, you sure, can make yeah. it look like it's, whatever you want. It's something you do while you're not driving, for sure. Um, but once you get it up and you get it the way you like it, there's no reason to switch it. Uh, it does have the same problem a lot of other systems have, where if you're wearing polarized glasses... You have to move your head around like a crazy person to even see it. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer. But performance, let's talk about that. Twin turbo V8. It's a 4-liter, uh, replacing the 4.8-liter naturally aspirated from the original Panamera GTS. 453 horsepower, 457 uh, pound-feet of torque. And I could be a little bit wrong on those because I was using some European and North American press kits, so right. there was a little discrepancy in horsepower. Horsepower. It's got plenty. It's got more than enough. But ironically, since we have driven a ton of Panameras, I, this is going to sound terrible, but I was like a little underwhelmed by the power on the track because I was remembering the Turbo SE Hybrid Sport Turismo, which has like 600 right. and some horsepower. But for everybody else, 
this is going to be more than enough. It sounds great. You get standard sport exhaust, standard sport chrono package, which includes all the driving modes, um, standard air suspension. Now, of course, this all comes at a price. It's like 128 grand for the sedan. Add a few more thousand for the Sport Turismo. So you can get it in both body styles. Yes. Right. Yep. Both body styles. I personally uh, lean toward the Turismo Sport Turismo just because I think it looks better, proportions are better, and it's a little bit more usable. You can get that in a what do they call it? Two plus one. Yeah, four plus one or something, because you can get the rear seat as a bucket or or a bench uh, or right, two right. seats, That's and right. then you could as a could ostensibly put somebody put in somebody the middle, but you or are. some child or something. Back so uh, yeah, as far as on road manners, there's nothing to complain about. Uh, it's a little tighter than a standard one, but honestly, for my money, it's as comfortable. I mean, you're, we're talking about a Porsche here, and then track work is just better than a sedan this heavy deserves to handle. Uh, again, not quite the level of a turbo or uh, e-hybrid, uh, turbo SE hybrid, but like we said before, this is mixing two worlds, not going in one direction. I want to change the subject to our next car, which you could probably, by my calculations, almost buy four of the base model for what you just paid for one of the Panamera GTSs. And that's the 2019 Genesis G70, uh, available with two powertrains, the two-liter Turbo I4 and also a six. Uh, and though it's based on the Kia Singer, you can get a manual transmission with the two-liter um, turbo rear drive only uh, and not the 3.3-liter V6. Having said that, we've both driven the uh, G70. We've driven the Singer. What do you think? Is it basically just badge engineered, or is it a different car? Uh, I would. It's not entirely a different car, but it's very different. Uh, the wheel. I don't know. It's shorter than the Stinger. It uh, has the classic European sports sedan stance. I think when you yeah. look at it from a profile, has better a, than a Stinger. Have a has a similar layout to the interior. I mean, I looked at that yeah, instrument panel and thought, all day that's kind of kind of lifted. But I. Also think they drove like different cars. Yeah, the G70 is a little softer, but um, we didn't spend. A, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in the two-liter Stinger either, um, so it's hard to, hard to compare because I've only driven the two-liter G70. So, Joe, did you have a chance? I, I got to say, Greg, we actually met up over the weekend, and we Greg brought yeah. in Bahrain. Greg, in Bahrain, <laughs> no, Greg brought it. I I liked it better than the Stinger. And uh, I get what you're saying. You can't some of the Kia influences like visible, but man, I just thought I think it looks better than the Stinger. It has a, a really okay. like other Genesis products. You like big grills? I know well, that. I don't. Yeah, lie. like other Genesis products, it does have sort of like you can see. Well, it's got a styling cue here that looks kind of German or a little Asian. Like it, it, it doesn't quite have a strong personality looks wise, but I really did like it. It just it looks small and fast. I like that. It's it's just a little bit tinier than the Stinger. I think that mm. as a guy with without any kids or whatever, if I was shopping for a, a sports sedan and you know didn't wanted something a little different, I think it would appeal to me. And I was also impressed the quality of the interior materials. I was feeling around. I thought I was like, wow, this is like real metal, real aluminum mm. on some of the trim pieces and stuff. Stuff that other car companies would maybe you know go the cheap route and have plastic. They had real metal, and that impressed me. I agree that it was 
had a lot of a nice luxury tint to it. I guess my feeling was compared to the Stinger, it felt, I thought it felt heavier. Not necessarily good, stable heavy, but just heavy. Mm-hmm. Like the two liter, which I thought was perfectly fine and, and really quite a joy. And the Stinger was, uh, seemed like it was struggling a little here, but uh, I seem to be in the minority. I know um, I drove it first up at uh, North American Car of the Year drive-off, and I was certainly in the minority there of people that found anything wrong with it. I think it's it's a very good effort from them. So to me, it was more of like a grown-up stinger. Yeah, which I is think exactly I actually I think that's accurate. Yeah. Uh, again, like Brian said, we didn't drive the two-liter stinger very much, but. Mm-hmm. I don't. I agree with you. I think the the power from the four cylinder is good. It's not great. Nobody's going to be impressed by that power. But if you were to hop up into the twin turbo V6, that's a nice. That's terrific. I think that's yeah. It's would terrific. Be impressed by that. And along those lines, I was just over at the Kia dealer, and uh, he said they can They do not sell any two liter stingers. Even though that's everybody of course the the, the margin lot. You know the baseline of all. European sports sedans, everybody wants to talk about the two-liter turbo. The fact is Americans really aren't impressed. Right. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm curious if we'll get a chance to drive the manual transmission one. Sadly, the one they the G70 that, that we got is an automatic that car. Could turn that that could turn that engine into a lot of fun, just being able to shift your own gears. Yeah, I, we, um, I did drive it. I thought it does make a difference. Uh, we've got one on order. We'll see it. Uh, hopefully, you see it here fairly soon on Motorway. All righty. All right, let's move on to the 2019 Jaguar I-Pace, the first all-electric vehicle from Jaguar and basically beating Mercedes and Audi to the punch when it comes to an all-electric crossover. 90-kilowatt battery, about, uh, what, 234 miles. I think that's based on the EPA cycle, 0 to 64.2 seconds. I think we've all driven it a little I, I trust. What do you think? Is it uh, is it more Jaguar, more EV? Does Tesla have anything to worry about? Is this a new era? What do you think? It doesn't have the like brain melting acceleration of a Tesla, but it's still really good. Like four point two seconds right. is not shabby. Yeah. Right. It's I I I really enjoyed driving it. I love that feeling of just like sort of limitless power from zero. You know, that is such a cool feeling that you can only get in an EV. And I, I did love that. And we say in the road test, because I just edited the road test for it, uh, we say in the road test that, you know, it doesn't scream EV at you. And I think that's kind of the car's strength is that you could get in it and never know, really, unless Until you, you really... try to fill it up. Right. <laughs> but the problem is, does that appeal to buyers? Because EV buyers, you know, Tesla buyers love nothing more than to tell everybody that they drive an electric car. So my question is, will that be, well, to an automotive journalist, that seems like a good thing that it doesn't scream EV. Will that be a problem for customers? Well, that's been the question we've been asking since the Prius came out. And, and in that case, when it came to hybrids, looks did matter. Uh, but this is such a beautiful oh. machine. I think Jaguar is making a point that this is the future of their brand, and and they want to appeal to current Jaguar buyers Mm -hmm. and those interested in the Jaguar brand to the point that they put their corporate face on it. Mm -hmm. It looks like every other doesn't need a grill, uh, but it's got one. Jag, and so you know, I think they're happy. That's their, that's what they're going for is to not uh, be an EV, but rather the future of Jaguar. 
And I, I struggle with calling it an SUV or a crossover. Yeah. I mean, it's more like it's a hatch, it's, more like a hatchback. It's all wheel drive, but it's 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 not that big. Although it's it low. does have a ton of room in it. Yeah. Um, there's nothing really SUV-ish about People it. People want to compare it to the Model X, but really it's a Model S competitor. It's a Model. More, yeah. Well, yeah, you Why? could say it's kind of like it's kind of like the Model Three wagon that hasn't happened. Yeah, I was yeah. really blown away by it honestly yeah, i thought it was beautiful outside it was beautiful inside it's got a bit of a shooting brake look to it even well, though it's a four-door but it the, just has they a, make that point in some of their press material the seats look uncomfortable but are really comfortable mm -hmm. somehow um driving it is just great on the highway because it's quiet i mean even with even when you're lacking engine noise it's not all that loud with road noise or wind noise uh, the infotainment is kind of still Jaguarish, so it's not top level. But again, it presents well. And if you're looking to impress people, which I imagine a lot of Jaguar buyers, especially Jaguar EV buyers, are, um, you're certainly going to impress other people with it. And it's seventy thousand five hundred bucks approximately. It's a, a lot more affordable than all, but the I think it's either the base or one level X up Model X in Tesla. But you know now that. Audi and BMW and uh, Mercedes and BMW have all announced uh, electric EVs. It's going to be quite a battle for that market. And kudos yeah. to Jaguar for yeah, coming out for first. them because that's kind of a big deal that I don't it think a lot is, of people yeah. are, are noticing. Yeah. There was there was one story, Greg. You told me you had you did try to go to a fast charger, but that yeah. didn't work. Yeah, you know that's a bummer around here. So um, out near our track at seventy five eighty, there is a, a DC fast charger at a Royal Farms. Uh, I went there and tried to use it. It wasn't working. Uh, I even called up, um, what's the, I'm blanking on the charge, charge, charge point. Yeah. Charge point. Yeah. And uh, they said, ah, we can't get it fixed. Next closest one is 50 miles away <laughs> in Gaithersburg. I'm like, well, that's kind of not going to work for me. <laughs> so hopefully infrastructure will keep up. Still not quite there, man. Still we've not been, there. We've been coming down in price, and I want to come down in price again. Uh, we did just recently conclude with Cars.com a subcompact SUV challenge, and now we're talking about vehicles that mere mortals can afford. And Garrick was the point man on that shoot. Why don't you tell us about the uh, the vehicles and the results and it's all yours. So we had four in this category, uh, four contenders. Uh, the winner was the Subaru Crosstrek, which Big won surprise. Yeah, which won when they did this about three years ago. Number two was the Nissan Rogue Sport. Three was the Hyundai Kona and four was the Ford Echo Sport. Um, Joe and I were actually talking about this that in some of these other comparisons it seems like that you're almost splitting hairs between some of them. Whereas with these, if you just looked at the Monroney and saw what you got for the money, the cap here was, was 26000 it was pretty clear how, how they were going to rank even before you got even it. Before you did even, anything. even before you got in the car, whatever your preference is, just look at what, what you get. Um, and certainly people who are, are shopping for these, they're, they're looking for the most bang for, their, bang for the buck. Um, so, you know, it, like I said, it was pretty obvious going in. Um, Subaru One had the most horsepower, uh, was the longest, longest wheelbase. That's sad. Um, yeah. 
Naturally, safety features were a high point. Visibility, interior quality, handling and ride quality was good. The bad has a CVT, and automotive riders are just not going to like CVTs. Um, also, some it lacks some of the uh, other things that some of the other contenders had, like automatic climate control and power seats, um, but still came out on top. Uh, the next one down was the uh, Nissan Rogue Sport, which, as we pointed out, is known as the Qashqai in, right. in other markets. Um, what was the major thing about it that kept it from the top spot, you think? Uh, the, it did not have a touchscreen. Oh, terrible! Isn't so, it yeah, for twenty six, it's one of the one of the judges. How the world has changed, right? Well, one of the judges made a, a point about that. It yeah, seems kind of like a, a spoiled complaint. But then, when you look at the actual footage, you know, because we you came back with a, a shooter and had all this footage of the cars. When you do look at the center stack in it, it does look old, Man, right. and and it's interesting. A lot of these vehicles, the Rogue Sport and the the Echo Sport. Are both have been in other markets for several years in their current generation, right. and, and we're getting the, kind of an outdated model here. Well, in the that's US. also the problem. They've often been tuned for different kind of roads than we have. As I recall, mm -hmm. didn't the, the the Rogue Sport ride a little rough? And we know the the Echo Sport did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In comparison right. well, to the cross track, I'm, right. I'm curious, and a lot of other YouTube commenters are curious, and I don't know if I'm. Revealing industry secrets here, but why was this not a kicks? That's not, I think that that's an interesting why? point. It's just it's interesting that in the kicks is the new model SUV challenge. And right. remember, these are what manufacturers send right. us. There's a Subaru Crosstrek, which a lot of people would argue is an Impreza wagon, right? Yeah. And then there's the Nissan Rogue Sport, which is fine. It is a subcompact SUV, but that's not their one that goes up against sure. Echo Sporter. Sure. Yeah. I thought about that too. The only thing that that I could come out. Well, it was two reasons. Number one, the kicks just came out around the time of this. Right, so it wasn't available, probably. Um, the other is that the Rogue Sport comes with more safety features than you can get on the kicks. Mm -hmm. So if and price probably and and for too. a family vehicle, that's important. Right, right, it is. So they, they they probably calculated they would have a better chance in the rankings with that one I mean, than. I, than, than I, I still I still like the kicks. <laughs> for, I think for everyone a lot of likes the too. kicks a lot better. What about than the, yeah. uh, the the elephant in the room that's not there, and that's the Honda HRV. Hmm. I mean, um, any impression on how it would compare to that? I really liked the HRV when I drove it. I don't. I mean, know. it's kind of old. Yeah, yeah I don't know it. why Honda but didn't decide to send it. Funny thing, <laughs> it's, it, they just what they did a revamp of it a year ago, maybe. A ton of room inside. They've always had the most room in the segment and a lot more flexibility with the Magic Seat. Uh, it's it's noisy and it's a bit of a rough ride. So yeah. I'm not sure how it would have came in this. Uh, it probably would have beat the Echo Sport. Yeah. It probably still would have trailed the Crosstrek <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah, probably. And I was sad to see the the Kona place third. I thought that I, I guess some of the complaints from the the Cars.com people since I put the segment together, I saw the footage. They you know it was a little bit smaller, not a ton of cargo room. It's cool liked, looking though. They like the styling. Styling's a big a big winner for that. But right. you know I guess they chose substance over style. In I this like case. the Kona. I thought the Kona has a lot has a good driving character. I thought it was kind of fun to drive. And that was some of the good comments. They yeah. liked the handling, the yeah. powertrain, the responsiveness of that. But cargo space was was a big factor um, in, in that one. 
Thanks, Garrett. Let's move on to our viewer question. Peter asked, and we've edited this for length, Peter, so don't be offended. Several years ago, there was a push to build internal combustion engines that could burn hydrogen instead of gasoline. We were told that emissions from burning hydrogen were just water vapor at the tailpipe, and I think we even said that a few times. Today, there are multiple vehicles that use hydrogen fuel cells to power electric motors but none of the hydrogen internal combustion engines have come to market. Can you explain why? Well, I had to go back and start looking at engineering data. And Ed and Joe, just a minute, I want you to add uh, sure. to the one part of his question. It turns out that when you burn hydrogen, which costs, let's say, two to three times what a gallon of gasoline is when you look at equivalent uh, measures, when you burn hydrogen in an internal combustion engine, the efficiency is only around 20 to 25 percent, and that's true no matter what you burn in an internal combustion engine. When you use a fuel cell to convert it to electric power, <clears throat> excuse me, it's around 60 percent efficient. So gasoline in an internal combustion engine versus much more expensive hydrogen in a fuel cell gives you about the same cost per mile. Mm -hmm. So that's why it makes more sense to use in a fuel cell than an internal combustion engine, even though I understand BMW, which was doing research on this 30 years ago, is still looking into it. Now, as far as the water vapor, Joe, you've got an update yeah, on that. I looked up some, some other data on this question, and it has to do... so. A uh, hydrogen combustion engine, hydrogen and air from the environment go in. They, you know, hydrogen burns. And yes, it does make water vapor, but if the temperature of the engine is too high, it will also make oxides of nitrogen because the nitrogen in the atmosphere, it's not it's not the hydrogen fuel that's the problem. It's the temperature. It's the nitrogen be anything that you burn at high right. temperature. The nitrogen in the atmosphere and the oxygen in the atmosphere can create oxides and, and of nitrogen. And that's a no-no. That's what's forced diesels off the market. Right. That's what's been a problem why we have catalytic converters yeah. and gasoline cars. So there's all kinds of issues with operating temperature. And so manufacturers have experimented with lower temperatures and higher temperatures and it just becomes an efficiency and a cost problem. Anybody else have anything to add? It's like everything else in life, just follow the money. If they could make money doing it, they'd be doing it right now. So. And da-dum-dum. All right, viewer question, Peter, thank you very, very much for asking it. That was one that we all had to go basically do some homework on. Before we wrap up, any rant and raves? Anything making you irritated or happy about driving experiences? I'm sitting uh, in a doctor's office the other day, and I'm hearing an older gentleman, he's probably in his 80s, talking about how people drive today. He says, they don't drive cars anymore. They aim them. And I thought that was a pretty uh, appropriate topic. How about yeah. it? Aim blindly, maybe. No, nothing? I, I can only Joe? agree with you on that. It makes me glad. I, I commute during non-peak hours, and I on the rare occasions I have to come into work early. I'm like, man. It's like it's <laughs> you have gonna, to put up with that every it day? It increases my mortality rate, but... But uh, other well, than that, I hope it doesn't decrease your mortality. Yeah. Anyway, I'll I'll just keep you know driving at night when nobody but the deer are on the road. I, Except I can, we, that's a rough we, one. Yeah, we're seeing people hit those recently too. Everywhere in our parking lot. In our parking lot, you're telling tales. I'd like to thank our panelists and also our audio engineer David Wainwright today and our podcast creator Bob Mixer and Joe. Thanks very much for producing today's Motor Week podcast number one nine two. Thank you all for tuning in to Motor Week on public TV stations around the country and also the Velocity Cable Channel. Till next time, I'm John Davis for all of us at Motor Week. 
Please don't hit any deer. We'll see, talk to you soon. Bye. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, and by Rainex, Hum by Verizon, and State Farm.